Hi, this is Kaylin Smith, creator of Plume, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. Yes. It is going to be a great episode. <laughs> Book of the month, baby. Yes. That's right. I really Bring think we should do what we said we we, we could do in the the, the, the the shadowy stuff before the episode about a person who had a book come out today. I think we should do that. I'm for it. All right, because he'd be cool with it. Right, hey, we know that you're cool with it because you downloaded this. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 840. I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. That is indeed a fact. I am David A. Price. Yes, you are. And I am, of course, Ad-Rock. Hmm, what am I missing? Why are you Ad-Rock? Is aside- there a reason that... That's no, I mean. no, aside the fact that he is awesome... Uh, nothing came up recently. Nah, nah. I, was just, I'm, I, I haven't Beastie missed Boys a release week. or anything. Nope, I was just listening to the Beastie Boys this week a lot. Nice. Just was feeling them, so. You could be Ad-Rock. We could all be Ad-Rock. I, I will allow it. He's uh, he's 56. Nice. Time flies, man. Oh, boy. But uh, you're Jason Wood, everybody. Here together on this, our Book of the Month episode. Yo, Yes, every uh, month we do this. We allow our patrons, you heard about those people, to uh, weigh in on what they think we should read and discuss for the Book of the Month episode. And we put it all in a pot, we stir it up, we pick it out, and that's what we run with. Um, Yes, and you're here for that. And the patrons are here too, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one one, no apostrophe, audio, video, fanzine downloads, reproduction of comic pages, as we said, Book of the Month, plus the dedicated Slack channel. Yeah. Each and every day we gather on the Slack to talk about everything. Sometimes it's sedate. Sometimes it gets a Ooh, little... Spicy. got spicy today. Spicy and pudgy mm. and heated and awesome. And we just shimmy on up to it and love it all day long. So uh, please, if you would like to check out what our Patreon has for you, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. We would love... To have you join the family. Short yes. and sweet, right? Speaking of family. Whoa. Um, we lost one this yeah, week. Yeah, we did. Which completely... I, I, Darren was an absolute bright spot on the old CGS forums. He, 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 especially when we had the Servitars and, and I remember seeing Rainbow Cloak chime in quite often. And and he and I would exchange messages offline, and he was just he was he was an actually just an honest to god genuine dude, and I think about it from time to time. But then when we got the news this week that he unexpectedly passed away, it was it was an absolute punch to the gut. I I I really I have no words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have two though. Tell the listeners his name. Darren Noel. Yes, is 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 the man who we're talking about uh, a, a huge Wonder Woman fan. Uh, he he um, he he loved his DC, and and it was it, he. You just even reading the words on the message boards, you just knew 
the love and the joy from the works he was reading it, it just came through but he was he, he was an absolute positive force in the comics community i don't think i've ever seen him or read any posts from him that uh, that i can recall that uh, that 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 ever leaned towards negative or or uh or, or pulling any of that gatekeeper bullshit. It was just, it, it was, he was just always, always positive. Loved the hobby, loved the medium, loved other fans. And, and he is just, he, he's, he's one of the people that I think about when I think about CGS bringing so many of us together. And, yeah, and he yeah. is, he's, he's an absolute, he's, he's in, he's in that CGS Hall of Fame of, of listeners without a doubt. Definitely. I mean, I, I think you said it. I, I, I admittedly have had fallen out of touch with him on a regular basis in recent years. Not for any, you know, just that's just like the cycle of life. But, you know, definitely. I mean, I remember meeting him and having some fun times with him back in the CGS days. In fact, I think I met him, the first time I met him in person was the first time I met you too, Vince, in person. Hey. Um, yeah, how about that? And, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's he was beloved, you know, beloved among many of the people that we hold dear in our little world uh were, were remained very close friends with him and um you know he was always very kind to us and you know, listen to the show and as a member of our facebook group you know he was always a, a supporter and and you, i i think it's fair to mention that that he also was a og longtime podcaster he was part of the podcast elite well one of the founders of the legion of substitute podcasters yes. and i think they're well over 700 episodes themselves um and a lot of our people are our co-hosts and members of that group like Paul French and 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 uh, you know uh, Travis Elliser and Matt Kramer and uh, Jim Purcell like there's a bunch of people that you know that again are concentric circles overlap but but uh, you know I know Brian Deemer and it was very very close friends with him and, and Ian Levenstein like a lot of those you know again he was just a person that was fun to be around and he was he was delightfully catty like you know was but but never in like a, a mean way and um, yeah, it's just a shame. I mean, I don't even know how old he was, but I assumed he was somewhere in our age. I mean, he seemed to be our contemporary in most ways. So I, I honestly, unfortunately, don't don't know offhand exactly how old he was, but certainly he was way too young to to go, and it was quite sudden, from what I understand. So yeah, yeah, it's rough. I have um, nothing to add. Um, not because uh, I don't have the words, but because I'm not very good in situations, uh, circumstances like these, and uh, you know. Uh, he'll he'll be very very missed. That's all I can say. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. A, just another sad reminder that don't, you know you should not take friendships for granted. Right. It's easy to yeah, let them anything. let them atrophy and just think like oh, I'll see them eventually or soon enough or I'll get in touch with them and you know you just never know. You just yeah. Never know, so. I gotta call Marty. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Perfect example. Yeah. I was the, 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 Darren's passing made me think of a lot of friendships that I've let atrophy. Just you know I think it's a natural thing. Like and again nothing like. No falling out, no bad blood, just time. And you're like, oh, I, I haven't talked to them in God knows how long. Like, I need to reach out. I need to see if we can get together. It's just yep. So, if, if anything, hopefully we can all take some tiny sliver of, of positivity out of an absolutely tragic outcome, which is to just remember to connect with the people you love because you just never know. Yep. True that. All right. Well, uh, this is the time for the drink roll call. Ding, ding. And because these two books of the month have aged like fine wine Ooh! yes i went to the uh the, the store and i bought um a wine now i can't speak to its fineness 
but I can to its wineness because it is a Cabernet Sauvignon from California. It is made by, oh, well, it's the bottling company is the name of the wine. This is called Spellbound, and it has the faces of the moon on the label. So I thought, wow, with all the magics rampant, in in the books of the month this time around, why not? I'll go go with my gut and get some some uh, esoteric blends, and this is called Spellbound. It's very good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I got nothing special. Like I said, uh, I need to uh, get up mad early tomorrow and head into the city for some meetings. So no drink for me. Just uh, just wow. some some Gatorade G two and and some G, I mean some G zero and uh, and some water for me. Oh, I do have an addendum, though, to my drink. Um, mm. I was very excited to bring um, a beer to the table because um, I'm a, a, a fan of this band, but a friend of mine is a huge fan of uh, Canada's Rush, and they recently put out a, a lager. I think it's an amber lager, Rush lager. And he, he bought a number of, of bottles, and he gave me two. And he's like, here, when you do your thing, have this. And I had one last night. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> it was not good. It was not good at all. So, mm. yeah, the Rush beer is, is uh, just, just say no, kids. Gets <laughs> yeah. the bum rush. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, uh... Well, like you, Vince, I'm having some grape, and like you, Vince, I'm having some Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a, uh, it was finally uncorked yesterday. Uh, it is from Columbia Valley in uh, Walla Walla, Washington. It is Knocking Points, Wicked Aim from 2013. Um, it's one of the older bottles I have had in the house since it's almost gone, but, um, Knocking Point is, of course, the uh, vineyard owned by uh, Stephen Amell of Green Arrow fame and and, uh, and his business partner. And uh, they do put out some really, really good reds. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm slowly... I've been sitting on it for a long time because uh, I'm no longer subscribed to um, the Knocking Point boxes. But uh, this was... Um, this is one I figured. Let me try, crack it open, and it aged nicely. I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Nice, good. Jason, it's your turn, my friend. You got to lead us in because it's book of the month. You mean? Yes. Uh, indeed, I do. So, well, you, normally we talk about what the book of the month is. Oh, me. I didn't do that yet. Okay, yes. there you go. Our book of the month is not just a book. It is books, yes. plural, of the month. It is the uh, Proto-Dreadstar. The two books written and illustrated by Jim Starlin that led into the Marvel, Marvel graphic novel Dreadstar and then the series of the same name. Uh, but mm -hmm. these two books, uh, the first is the Metamorphosis Odyssey which was uh, serialized in Epic Illustrated, numbers 1 to 9, beginning mm -hmm. in, in 1980. And then, 
after uh, the, the second uh, book of the Metamorphosis Odyssey is the price, not David, but the price, and yeah. and that was not published at Marvel because there was a falling out. Jim was uh, not getting paid, yeah, so he getting his money. So he just you know stopped uh, what he was doing and took the uh, because it was in Epic Illustrated. He owned it uh, and uh, he brought it to Eclipse Comics in October of 1981. So those are the two books for our books of the month. Like I said, Proto Dreadstar. These are the two books that lead into the... He goes back to Marvel with the, the Dreadstar uh, graphic novel. And then the rest is uh, history. It hops around from publisher to publisher. I think uh, in the introduction, Jim says six different publishers. Uh, Up to uh, six with, with, six with the current... With the current yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's quite a track record. For real, for real. <laughs> but it's, oh, man. Okay, so now you do the do, Jason. Yes, I mean, as I often start these chats about is when we first uh, read our our subject matter. And, and I'll go first this this, this time because uh, I this is de novo for me. I had never read a single page of Dreadstar in any form until... How about you, Vince? Until when? You, you blanked <laughs> out. Off. Oh, really? Oh, mm-hmm. geez, that's a bummer. Uh, no, I, I had not read uh, a single page of Dreadstar until this month. Oh, boy. This is it. Brand new for wow. me. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. well, it's kind of silly. Uh, I started on the ground floor with Epic Illustrated, but I was I, I missed an issue or two. So I actually read the price. Technically, I read the first two chapters of Metamorphosis Odyssey first, and then I missed an issue or two, and so I had to hunt them down, and it was years before I got all of the chapters. Uh, so I read The Price actually before I finished the first Metamorphosis Odyssey, which is weird, and probably The Price didn't really make a whole lot of sense in some aspect because it hinges heavily on the outcome of the Metamorphosis Odyssey, and, well, we'll get there. But so yes, I read it ass backwards. But since the beginning, I've been reading this, give or take. How about you, DAP? Uh, this these two books. Um, my, my relationship with Dreadstar is it, it's kind of all over the place. I I think I read first time I read Dreadstar was maybe the second or third issue of the Epic series. So this is my first time reading. The Metamorphosis Odyssey, and for some reason, it's one of those. It's not a Mandela effect, but it's one of those things where I can never, I never, almost never remember the last syllable. I always want to call it Metamorphosis Odyssey. Like I just can't finish the word for some reason. But it, it's it's weird. This is my. Fr- it is weird. It's stupid. <laughs> it's weird. Um, <laughs> this this was the first time reading the Metamorphosis Odyssey, and um, and reading the price in uh, in its entirety. Um, and and when we get to the second book, I'll I'll um, go on on that. But it, it's it, yeah, it, it's. I mean, I've I've read various issues of Dreadstar over the years, um, but as far as going all the way back to the beginning where it started, um, it was uh, it was new to me. So, um, which was another reason why I wanted to uh, to get the slipcase because I do want to. 
read everything Jim right. did himself with with the character with with, with the with the concept. And um, I know you can't tell uh, from these two books, but there was a time when Dreadstar was so popular that Marvel did the old Titans thing where they reprinted the early chapters of the uh, Starlin's work in a different, like I think it was called Dreadstar and Friends or Dreadstar and, Com- Dreadstar Dreadstar and, and Company. Company. Yeah. So they reprinted early issues of the ongoing to meet demand. That's how popular Dreadstar was at one time. It just boggles the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Really Which does. is extremely weird, considering that it was so popular for Marvel, they wanted to publish a second book reprinting it, but yet Jim still couldn't get the checks. No, I think the... <laughs> well, look, if you he, he was... I don't think he was getting the checks for... Um, the chapters in Epic Illustrated towards the end. That's why he bounced and went to it went to uh, Eclipse for the price, but then he eventually came back because the Marvel graphic novel is what eighty two. The Dreadstar? No, he says, but somewhere around Dreadstar number twenty, my compensation for labor rendered mysteriously started oh, wow. disappearing. So, Real? so why yeah. did he bring yeah. the price to to Eclipse then? That doesn't make why any did sense. He? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. What do you, the what price you mean? chronologically, the price takes place before, right? Yes, the ongoing. Well, you wrote it after, though. No, but right, yeah, but I don't understand. Like the price well, the, was the second thing he wrote, though, for it. So. Yes, and it's it was published in eighty one. So how could it be? How could it come after the Marvel? It has to come before the Marvel arc ongoing. Yeah, Marvel, it does. Yeah. So yeah. why did he go to Eclipse right after Epic Illustrated and then maybe go back to Marvel? Offered him a better deal on on the price. Maybe oh. because obviously the the price is a much shorter story. Than it's a one shot, yeah. The yeah. serialized Metamorphosis Odyssey. Yeah. So I don't, I, I I don't know what the particulars were regarding yeah, that. He isn't yeah, going he, to that. In the he just says he wasn't getting paid. Well, he does say there's more to come in this other volumes. And admittedly, I, I, because our the collections we're referring. Um, are uh, it's a three volume hardcover slipcase slipcase hardcover uh so he does say in the in this first volume that he will have more stories to come in this second and third so i'm sure they're in there i just haven't i haven't bothered to check yet so and i'm 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 a silly fool for the dreadstar stuff i have the same book from various publishers like even though I have it, I bought it again because, like I say, I didn't have this edition of this book, but I had the other edition. But I, I'll still buy it. Like I always, mm-hmm. I'll always pick up Dreadstar stuff. That's and cool. I have, I have all the singles. And uh, I got to say, Peter David did a decent job after Jim bailed. Uh, right. But that's neither here nor there. So I thought it was interesting that Jim was very complimentary of oh, yeah. Peter's efforts. Um, now I'm unclear. Uh, maybe you guys know, like, why did Jim stop doing his own character, and and th- did he not, like, did he pay Peter David to complete to continue, or was it does he not own? Dr- I'm confused. Oh, he that. owns he owns Dreadstar. So either I guess I I don't know if I don't know what the deal was with with First Comics and and Jim. I'm I'm assuming that first paid Jim to publish the character. And then they also, and and first paid Peter David as 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 a writer of those stories, uh, but it would I, I'm it, it for some reason I'm just 
I'm assuming that it was it's very much like a licensed property where they're they're going to pay Jim to to use his character, use his property, publish it, but pay the creative team that's the publisher pays. Well, the I'm sure a, a backroom deal was worked out because you don't go forty some issues and then just stop publishing the book if it's selling, right? So the first probably said, "Look, this is doing decent." Let's get somebody else in here if you don't want to do it anymore. Whatever reasoning he had for not continuing on the title, whatever. I mean, I'm sure we could dig that up in the fanzine mm-hmm. somewhere. It's got to be in an Amazing Heroes or a, or a freaking uh, uh, comics journal. or, or s- It's in something, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to be. I, I, I don't want to bury the lead, but I feel like for the second month in a row, we've inadvertently made an error in that we chose – to read a portion of the work we were taught, we wanted to talk about that wasn't the best example of the work. Meaning, like obviously with Tintin, a lot of the people that knew Tintin afterwards, like, what the hell did y'all pick those two stories for? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, we yeah. picked them. We we picked them because it was the first and the one that he said that that Erge said was his own favorite. So it made some sense why we picked them. But a lot of people are like, yeah, but they aren't the best. And this year, and we'll get into it. I I I didn't realize when we picked it because it's obviously in these collections and it's chronological. I thought, well, it makes sense to read the beginning, but but as as I think I've now subsequently realized, and dis- and lots of people didn't like a lot of people don't even like the the particularly the metamorphosis like it's completely different than the ongoing in tone, feel, vibe. Uh, even Starlin talks about it. I've read an interview with him. Like it's just not the same comic in any way, really. So like I I I'm still I'm left I'm left wondering like what I would have felt if we were like, oh, let's read the first 10 issues of the Dreadstar ongoing. Like, how would I feel about the, the character right. instead well, of this? Um, when you're in it for the long haul, like we are, there's no urgency to cherry pick the best stuff. We're going to get to it. <laughs> Sooner or later, we're going to get to it. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> no, it's true. But but what I, So now we have the opportunity to not only jump back into Dreadstar somewhere along the timeline, but we know where it all came from. Right, sure. So it, yeah, no, that's you know, fair. I do there's, that. It, it's we haven't been. It, nothing is wasted here. We're it's the Great White Buffalo. We're picking all the bones and using them as mm-hmm. something else. So oh, that's but, fair. And I, hate I like to, that perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there is an introduction by Starlin uh, to this book, and um, he there, I, there's a lot of choice nuggets in in his uh, recollections, but uh, the the juiciest. Uh, number one, he got the painting bug from watching Howard Shakin painting his, um, I've, I've mentioned it here a million times or more, his gorgeous uh, Stars My Destination, yeah. uh, Alfred Bester book. So he mm-hmm. saw Howard working on this stuff because they all were members of the Upstart studio at the time. They all you know, all How the band. cool would that be to have been in that studio, man? Some oh, oh the, name, the names that are in there? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's um, comics. So he would see Howard painting. He'd be like, God damn, I should try that. Um, I love Jim, but Jim is not the painter that Howard is. No. So, no. I mean, uh, Jim's a more uh, rough-hewn painter, uh, yeah. but he does take bigger risks with the color than Howard. Um, so, uh, come see, come saw, right? The two different things. Um, but, uh, the members of the Upstart studio, because they were around all the time, Starlin picked, uh, various, uh, artists and, uh, studio members to model for him for characters for the, the, the comic. He used a lot of reference. And, uh, there is a list 
Jim Starlin himself was the model for uh, Vanth Dreadstar, Za, and Akhnaten. And Val Merrick was also a model for Akhnaten. Jonas Sewell was none other than Walt Simonson. <laughs> it gets crazy. Wispar was Heather DeWitt, and I've seen. I, I have. I was like, props to Heather DeWitt. She's got a booming body. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a picture of her that was taken. I think it's Starlin, Heather. Um, uh, there's two others in the photo. I can put it up in the uh, mm-hmm. the episode thread. She is very attractive. Um, uh, Heather DeWitt was Wispar. Juliet. Um, was modeled after Lynn Varley. And at the time where Lynn Varley was, uh, Frank Miller was. And Frank Miller was the uh, model for Juliet's father. Delilah, uh, Jim's uh, wife at the time, Dania Grazunius was Delilah. And uh, get this, Sisky Darklock was Joseph Rubenstein. <laughs> And like on like last like on a, yeah yeah because he wanted he he wanted uh, first to be uh, yeah. Then, yeah yep the guy didn't show up to the appointments so. right right yeah. uh, and the uh, the doomed uh, sister Marion was uh, Rubenstein's girlfriend uh, Marion Stensgard so it's really neat uh, I did not know that Frank was Juliet's father. Because, uh, I mean, who knew, right? I, I didn't know. The, I don't remember this being in, in the fanzines that I read back in the day. Mm-hmm. So now, looking back at it, I'm like, holy shit, Frank got blowed up. <laughs> Frank Miller got blowed <laughs> up. Oh, boy. Maybe that's what happened to him. Yeah, no. No, he just, he, he ascended <laughs> to godhood, right? And once you realize that Walt is, Jonas, it, it, it is kind of hard not to see it. Mm-hmm. But I have issues with that character, and it will get to it. Okay. By the way, uh, I will say, regardless of what I think about the comic as we talk about it, uh, or the art, I I, I got to give Jim Starlin props. I mean, I've seen Jim a lot in the con circuit over the years. You know that we've done, and even at his advanced age, he's obviously very like physically fit dude. You know, clearly lifted weights most of his life. So I'm not surprised, but like assuming he. I mean, given how on model these renderings are and, and almost like, you know, they almost look like photo reference in a lot of times, like props to him. Dude had a fucking killer body. <laughs> like, dude is in great shape, man. Yeah. Yep. So props to him. Yeah. We always used to say uh, back in the day, Starlin would rip you in half. And he was, he was, yeah. he was ripped. He was muscular. He, he would just like, yeah. And even, even when Jason and I saw him at Baltimore, looked like he, he looked like he was, he could walk on as an extra on, on Oz. Definitely. Yeah. Like he should be, uh, like uh, like a red shirt on the Expendables five or something. And Juliet's father is so Frank Miller's not even funny. <laughs> Crazy, <laughs> holy it, shit! Isn't it weird though that <laughs> it, Frank once married? You put, once you put it in your head, well, no, Frank married Lynn, but in yeah. the book he's her father. That's a little weird. It's a little right. sick, but it's okay. Um, so here we go. Metamorphosis Odyssey. It's broken into chapters. Chapter one appropriately, is called Akhnaten of Orsiros, or Osiros. And uh, here's the rub for the entire book. Uh, the Osirosians, uh, they're the oldest and the most powerful race in the Milky Way galaxy. They are, they and existence at large, are being plagued 
by the Zygotian race. Uh, the Zygotians are like spacefaring locusts. What they do is they invade, they conquer, they enslave, they strip a planet of its resources, and then they move on to the next unfortunate target. That's their deal. They're, they're insidious. They're relentless. It's just they're, they're, they are like the anti-life. They'll just ravage the galaxy just to bolster their, uh, their empire. Uh, and, and the Oserosians hold them off. But not for long, and and they've realized that it's only a matter of time before the Zygotians, uh, you know, marshal their forces and and return to finish the job. So, with a mix of science and magic, the universe's final hope. And what do you know? Jim Starlin creates something with infinity in the name. <laughs> he the the infinity horn is created. <laughs> And uh, Akhenaten is its guardian. But he's not powerful enough to deal with this mystical artifact. So the Oserosian elders give him the bulk of their powers. They just transfer their power to him. And Akhenaten essentially becomes a god. And you can't see it because this is audio. But uh, in form, Akhenaten is very Egyptian. In fact, the the Oserosians, the Pinocchio nose. There's there's a there's a, a, a rampant Egyptian motif to yes. all all of the designs. And he's walking around. He's got the 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 pharaoh headdress on. He's got a big pointy ass nose. No pupils in his eye, which is kind of cool. Um, and he's he's flying around the the coldness of space on a hovering disc. Like he's he's not godlike. He is akin to a god. So uh, these powers that the elders bestowed upon him, they granted him the ability to peer into the future. And what Akhenaten saw was not good. He saw Osiris destroyed. He saw the unleashing of the horn's terrible power. And um, unfortunately, he saw his own death. So Akhenaten says, fuck this. And he sets some plans in motion. He hides the Infinity Horn on a backwater planet beneath the notice of the Zygotians. Like, the resources weren't there. If the um, the denizens of said planet were not at a level that they could be exploited for slavery, they would just overlook the planet and just move on. There was nothing, there, nothing of value in, in, in the, the physicality of the planet. So they just move on. Uh, Akhenaten travels to Earth and implants the fledgling Homo sapiens with a race memory. Mm. He goes to an uninhabited planet in the Crab Nebula and plants the seeds of life. He instills compassion in the mind of a member of a race of cannibal savages in the Alpha Centauri system. And this is where it's all leading. He hides a sword of ice and fire on the planet Vega that, like Excalibur, is waiting for its champion. So, a uh, hundred thousand years later, <laughs> uh, the, the Zygotians destroy Oseros and everything on it, except Akhenaten, who flies off alone into the darkness of space. That's the first chapter. Like, it's there's big, major concepts being just smashed together in this book 
but in the when you boil it all down you know you reduce it to its 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 chewy flavor it's basically two very powerful um races at war right uh well more than two but it's 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 the oserosians versus the uh zygodians but it's also the zygodians versus everybody else everybody in existence they, they everyone to to a race hates the zygodians because of this is what they do they're just nasty ass motherfuckers so um the seeds in many sense in many ways have been planted in this first chapter for everything that will unravel in the chapters to come there you go yeah it's quite the prelude it is it's big um I think Starlin had to find his uh, sea legs as far as the writing went on this. There, the, I think the language is a bit clunky, and um, uh, you need uh, one needs to parse passages more than once to get the idea on some right. of these these early uh, uh, descriptions. But once chapter two kicks in, and it's called Za, and it's not about pizza. It's about Zah with an exclamation point. Were. Yeah, stop. Uh, <laughs> so the focus of this chapter is Zah, the member of that cannibal people we talked about on the planet Tijor in the Alpha Centauri system uh, in which Akhenaten instilled compassion. So these creatures um, knew nothing more than uh, consuming, reproducing, and going back to consuming like uh zaz well, life eat, and they eat each other they're yeah. cannibals yeah yeah, um, yeah. zaz life and love and struggle and failure uh and then Akhenaten pops up at the end of the chapter and takes za away to earth on a giant space butterfly he's like my dude you have something all these other savages don't have i gave it to you and i need you so you're gonna come with me Hop on this big ass butterfly and let's go to Earth. And then he then he joins the X Men. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I'm gonna call you Hank. He does look a little like Hank. Just like Hank, my man Hank. Favorite part of the book. Well, you can you can uh, leave Marvel, but you can't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You could you Take could made out of Marvel. Yeah. Marvel. Out of now Marvel. let's let's talk for a second about the art because. Like you said, this is different. I mean, this is he was in love with painting. This is his attempt. It's it's black and at least to this point in the story, it's black, it's black and white. Um, far be it for me. I'm not an artist. We talked, but you know, but but I, you know, I I find the art in this at least this early part like odd in that there are things I like about it and there are things I really dislike about it. You know, like there it's like it, it's definitely like there there are individual panels or 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 pieces of the page and i'm like oh that's that's pretty nice and then like but compositionally i think it's a struggle for me uh in a lot of ways and it seems a lot of like the visuals seem random to me but um and i know that you're both much more forgiving and open-minded than i am sometimes about this stuff so um Maybe you're looking at, but like, what did you guys think of the art? And I'm talking about this beginning part of the art, like specifically the black and white, him first learning how to paint stuff. I like it a lot. I mean, it's it's dense as hell, and I I think it's it's in 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 painter terms, 
I think the art is on a level with his uh, pen and ink art in that Jim always infused from the get-go his work with a lot of detail. And I think Jim is trying or was trying to impart that same methodology with paint. Uh, look at the, I mean, he did not have to throw all of those stars in every panel. Right. Like, yeah, the, it's, yeah. the work is just incredibly dense. Um, no, I agree with that. And that's some of the, and that's the part that's like, I'm like, that's impressive. And wow. But like the page with the, with the space butterfly, like I look at those two pages and I'm like, I, I, I it looks to me like if I, if I just zoom out, it, it looks like clip art to me. Like, it's like the, the things are just almost like just put there. Like, because again, I think maybe because you've been learning to paint, like it doesn't feel like one composed set of visuals to me. It feels like mm -hmm. clip art. Yeah. I'm not seeing that. Okay. So I asked the question. Yeah, I'm not, um, I think compositionally, Jim is there. It's just that there's a lot going on here. And um, your eye needs areas in which to rest, right? When, when, when you have your, uh, your Brian Chippendales who just infuse the image with detail everywhere and it's so chaotic mm. and it's so colorful that your eye doesn't have a, a, a spot to, 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 to pause and to just rest – it could get, and it does get tedious. It gets tiresome. I think that's that's a component of this. There's just so much to see that maybe you got a little bit of fatigue going on. I mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But then he 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 balances it with some nice black and uh, like just solid black areas, and he and and there's a lot of uh, stark whites. And when when uh, Akhenaten comes and Zaz sitting on the the, the the rock, you know, the 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 chests of both characters are just bathed in just white. It's almost nothing but. So I mean, he he realizes that he's got to give you a, a little bit of a breather. But I just think there's just so much going on here that, uh, mm -hmm. and there's so many textures at work when you have a butterfly in space, <laughs> right? And the butterflies. Fuzzy. I think that you just—that's why it looks like clip art to me. It's the textures, right? It's like these different. There's different, like it's there's no blending of the imagery. Like some of it's just stark flat 2D. Some of it's like incredibly detailed and lush. Right, right. So like like even with the Akhenaten in the panel on the um, on the page prior to the space moth or whatever it like the where he's standing there in the where he's in the corner like the the I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the headdress is called for Egyptian pharaohs but the headdress looks like he almost like inserted it on there. Cause like, it's really thick, straight black line and very little detail, you know, but then like you said, it, but then if I look a page over, like he renders Zah with just incredible shading and detail. And it looks almost like he's 3d. So it's just, it's, 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 yeah, it just feels like it felt like there were just, there were comp components of it that just really sung in components where he just, didn't quite know how to make the brush do what he wanted it to do. I think it's more of a uh, why not approach. Because okay. as you see, when the series progresses, when he gets into the color uh, sections, he tries some pretty ballsy stuff. Like he's using warm colors where he should use cool and, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Like he's switching up expectations and there's like flat reds for shadows and that's totally... Uh, against the grain but it works uh and it and it, it just it sets a uh, a tone where it's just like i don't know what to expect next 
mm-hmm. because he'll do one panel that's extremely detailed and then the next it's more abstract and and um uh exploratory or uh expressionistic so i i mean i i can't speak against the art because i i just think it's he he who knows i wasn't in jim's head and i wish i was but it's he seems to be just saying well what the hell how he did a ton of different techniques for his book let me just catapult off that because i know i can handle it he can mm-hmm. but maybe um being so good with uh thicks and thins on his his line work his ink work this is not the same thing so mm-hmm. there may have been uh, a bit of a a learning curve so i don't think so i don't think i think it's just jim just trying stuff some of it works and some of it works better <laughs> i guess uh so chapter three juliet earth is getting pummeled by the Zygoteans. Wouldn't you know it? Uh, but the planet isn't without hope. Unfortunately, the writing's on the wall. And uh, Akhenaten triggers Earth's stockpiles of nuclear weapons. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? You guys don't have a chance. You're done. Boom. Uh, obliterating the planet. Earth's destroyed. Uh, its inhabitants destroyed. And the Zygotean invaders, Done. Uh, but he does all that, but not before saving a single Earth girl, young Juliet, because destiny has instilled in her something crucial to stopping the spread of the Zygotian evils. Takes one girl from Earth, and just like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna destroy the place. Fuck it, you guys are done. You had your chance. You didn't do it. Now you're done. I mean, not the last time we'll see that happen. No, but that this was this was the chapter that I was like, oh shit, because uh, Akhenaten he's scorched earth, man. If he doesn't think something's going to work, he'll just raise the place, which is uh, both admirable and very very scary because you don't want to be on the losing team. But how many how many apocalyptic stories have we read? over the years or seen where earth is a barren wasteland and it still exists and people are trying to you know just survive on the planet this was a story where and it may have been unique in in 1979 but this was a story as i'm reading and i'm like earth is gone it's not like yeah. we're going to be able to go back and and rebuild or we're earthlings or you know the, the humanity is what's going to save everyone it's like no earth is gone there's this one female left and the rest of the story is just going to rely on other species and 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 aliens and 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 other races and it's just it 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 didn't startle me but it definitely just made me kind of go oh earth is gone like there's the yeah the humans aren't saving the day my favorite story of my favorite sci-fi story of all time has the same premise, right? I mean, Douglas Adams Hitchhikers, right? That's how it starts off. They they destroy Earth, and Arthur Dent is the last 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 That's living right. human. Um, well, he's there's two, but at the beginning, you think it's just him. But um, so yeah, so I'm I'm down for that idea uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like you said, I, I think uh, I I I appreciate that Octonaut doesn't give two fucks, man. He's yep. he's he's all about yeah. the ends justify the means. <laughs> Uh, so then we head into chapter four, featuring Wispar. The our group zips on over to the world of woods, 
and it has nothing to do with Jason, unfortunately, um, to pick up Wispar. She's a topless winged maiden chosen. Oh, naked. The nice fro. Well, hot, she, super hot. Yeah. She was chosen by. Wait, the, what are you saying yeah for? Like, eh, a, no, she's not like buck I'm, naked. She got undies on. She does? Yeah, oh, she, does. she got she the undies does. on. Yeah. yeah. In the first, in the opening page, she does not have undies on. I don't care what you say, but <laughs> she's there's just, no there's no panty line on that hip. But okay, but yes, in the in the subsequent, she's standing with panties on. She's chosen by the se- Council of oh, Sensitives uh, for because she has harmony with nature, and uh, Akhenaten now has his Trinity, but the Trinity is very uh, fragile. Uh, they need a protector. So who will protect them? Well, it's the wielder of the sword he hid on Vega, a man named Vanth Dreadstar, which takes us to chapter five. And uh, Akhenaten's like, okay, I got something to do. I'm going. Well, wait, we get, you, you, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing there is that we get we 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 do the Wizard of Oz thing, and we go from black and white to suddenly it's all in color, like in a, in a matter of pages. Yeah. It does shift, yeah. I, I, I mean, because of the Trinity coming together, is that reason to switch to color, or did someone in an editorial say, "Hey, Jim, you know what? Why don't you try this shit in color?" I don't know. No, he he said he just was more. He just he got confident enough that he wanted to try color. Oh, really? I, I mean, I read an interview with like about it, like back the, from back in the day. He it just he just getting he was just curious and feeling more confident with painting, so he he, moved, he decided to start doing color. Ah, because it wouldn't cost um, Archie or Marvel any more money because Epic Illustrated was in color, so it's not like they they had yeah, to yeah. you know. No, it was just his own personal. He he felt it was going to be more fun to do it that way. So nice. There you go, Jim. So. Uh, Vega is known as Bifrexia to its inhabitants. And uh, Chapter 5 is Vance's story. Both of his parents were eaten by snow bears. <laughs> uh, yeah, he grows up alone. He's, he's shunned as an outcast. And then he's embraced for his uh, routing of the Zygotian invaders. Like, they hated him because he was weird um, and, and didn't didn't do anything for them but once they saw that he was beating the shit out of the zygodians they're like oh this guy's not so bad and they make him the supreme commander of the bifrexian defenses and uh the chapter ends with akhenaten being ambushed by a zygotian a-team of mercenaries right and uh, who's going to rescue akhenaten from these mercenaries well it's vance dreadstar he rescues Akhenaten, and we get to see the energy-draining sword in action. And I think this, uh, chapter 6, which is called The Meeting, is very important because there is a Jim Starlin chestnut in this chapter that he has used in almost every single thing I've seen him do. And that is the single-page uh, fight montage where he choreographs, yes. he choreographs a single page. He did it on Sons of the Tiger. He did it on fucking uh, Master of Kung Fu. He did it in Dreadstar. He did it in uh, Iron Man. Every book that I've ever seen Jim Starlin work on has at least a half or full page dueling dance like this. He loves to do it. And I'm I'm glad because I think it looks great. It, it breaks up the... 
it, it adds to the flow of of the narrative. You get this. You you get a sense that the motion of what's going on. I think it's very effective. And uh, you know when. I saw it in this back in the day. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool. But now, having read a, a boatload of Starlin stuff, I'm like, ah, Jim's doing the dance. Woo woo. There you go. I guess I get excited over such things. I love it. <laughs> love it. So, anyway. Um, any comments before we move on to Chapter 7? No, aside from, um, again, because... I just knew about Dreadstar and Company being a reader of the ongoing um, and knowing that this is the origin of that whole idea. Mm-hmm. Um, going five or six chapters before you actually see like the star that the ongoing is named after um, was it, it was neat to me. I just it it because it, we're obviously it's 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 a slow build where we're, we're getting everybody else involved until. We get to um, the the hero or the star, but in in his first book, it's not necessarily like Vanth is, isn't really not that likable. The star, he's not, well, yeah. no, definitely not. But he's he's not he, he's not who people are paying to see. It, it's 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 obviously it's 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 Doctor Don, and and he just it, it's it, I I'm a little surprised that that Jason wasn't so gaga over this because it is getting the band together. Oh, it's but, the whole book. Right, yeah, and, yeah. and it is. It's just one of those things where um, I, I'm so used to, um, so many other stories where you're either just dropped into the action or you don't. You're not real. I, I, I almost forgot that for a while um, th- th- there were comics made decades ago where because you weren't waiting for the trade. There wasn't. You didn't have to worry about you know compressing stories or anything like that and it, it, it this was just jim telling this story and and it it was he was getting to it uh, in his terms he's just but, you know, uh, i'm gonna tell this story and this is how it's gonna play out yeah. and, and and it's gonna take a minute bear with me but we'll get there and it it's just you weren't hit over the head you, you your hand isn't necessarily held so, so that you know you can <laughs> get everything you need to get in, in a handful of pages you, you're you're going to be rewarded it's just going to take a couple dozen chapters but how about there. this though like let's look at the logistics of this story ever getting into people's hands right first of all it was serialized in epic illustrated epic illustrated right, right? which not everyone i mean <laughs> regardless of the fact that it was published by marvel not everybody read it because it didn't uh, until the uh, the burn well, silver Black server Story. yeah yeah the, the, there was really no ties to Marvel at large so you had an anthology uh, strike one a magazine sized anthology uh, strike two published by Marvel and then you have this first chapter of an ongoing chap- tapestry serialized in the first nine issues of a magazine that was never ever collected so it's like how do you read wait a minute i missed chapter three and chapter six well i guess i gotta go hunting through back issue bins because that's the only way i'm gonna read this yes we live in wondrous times where this book has now been collected in many many formats but back in the day if you wanted to read it you needed to go to the source or Mm -hmm. you didn't read it 
Well, to your point, it seems as though when I was reading some old interviews and reviews with him and stuff, like it, it's very clear that a, a, a massively larger audience read the ongoing comic and never read this stuff. They knew it existed. Some did, some didn't, but they didn't they hadn't read it. Like so, yeah. so right. for a lot of people, and it seems like that, like like most people's experience with Dreadstar, if they had it, was Dreadstar, the ongoing series. And uh, yeah, they were probably aware that this was where it got started, but they hadn't read it, and it really didn't inform them in any way. Like they, their right. their first introduction to Dreadstar was issue one, Dreadstar. You know, right? Well, let's be honest. Starlin switched it up because he starts off, as we've seen and we will see, in this Joda Rousean, um He's got the tux on, and he's addressing the the audience. Dreadstar is not that. Dreadstar is not. Dreadstar is a space opera. It's a dirty, gritty George Lucas space opera. But that's not where it starts. I mean, this is highbrow stuff. And well, then it, you, you, you're at the. That's the crux of why I had, I didn't have as enjoyable experiences as I had hoped. And you just hit on it. Like you actually hit on the exact name I have written down here. Like this to me read like an attempt of doing like. Drouillet or Yodorowsky. And yeah. like I don't think fair or unfair, I've read both of those gentlemen's works and this ain't it. And like I thought going into this, and again, this is my own baggage, that Red Star was just like you said, a space opera driven by the rampant phantom of Star Wars that any creator of that age would have had in the eighties, yeah. ourselves included. And it was gonna be like that, and it was gonna be this badass like swashbuckling space adventure which i was totally down for it is and said to me i'm getting an attempt that to me felt like second rate yodorowsky and it's like if you're going to give me the highbrow conceptual stuff i can get better elsewhere and so that's where and again i'm not like i don't want this to sound like i think this is terrible i just like this was a not what i expected again that's a me thing like i shouldn't have brought my own baggage into what i thought it would be but i did and then what it actually was to me felt derivative of other stuff that was coming out then of its ilk or came out before, and I, right. I think is better. That's all. So. Well, I will say um, Epic Illustrated was created to uh, go toe-to-toe with heavy metal. Right, right. No doubt about it. Yeah. And the early stuff in uh, Epic Illustrated, this specifically – was I think very successful in uh, playing the heavy metal game. It's it's very cosmic. It's very um, the, the you know it's it's mind expanding. There are concepts of not just us versus them. There's there's the ecology and and the you know what is uh, existence and all that stuff that that we come to expect from that early. Uh, Erlant stuff that's in this, but Starlin himself has done this even better, right? I think the uh, the Adam Warlock stuff is better Definitely. than this. Yeah. So I mean, he. Yeah. You know, this is, and maybe this is part of where we should take tonight's conversation. I, I, I think for me, when you inherently when we do the books of the month of stuff that's archival, um, whether or not we'd read it before plays a big role in our experience right and, and particularly do we have nostalgia for it but in 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 some cases and, and again i acknowledge maybe it's unfair but i don't know how you how how you cannot do it at least for me 
I read things and I do draw comparisons to other things. Uh, it, like not like I'm intending to, but it, you can't help it. You're human. We've talked about a lot of comics, so yeah. like in everything this this book of the month reminded me of, I felt like it wasn't a best in class. Like the Yodorovsky comparisons again. I already talked about that. To your point, I I've read better Starlin. I think like more cohesive. That was still big concept, but cohesive stuff that stood the test of time, right? Like Starlin's Cosmic has, like, basically continued apace at Marvel in most ways, and this and it's informed the the cinematic universe in in huge ways, right? It has largely been like a massive creative touchstone that has driven Marvel for decades later, um, you know. I, and then and then last but not least, we haven't gotten to this point, like. Again, fair or unfair, as I was finishing this up, I'm thinking, well, this is an early eighties thing. It was a it was certainly, you know, well regarded for its time, but like I thought immediately of like Nexus and Grimjack, and I I understand they're different books, but having read both of those for the first time in the last decade, I love them both unequivocally. And it's like, well, this ain't Grimjack or Nexus for me. Like I'll take either like I'll gladly sit down and read another chunk of either of those without hesitation before I I this left me wanting to read more Dread Star. Okay, well you have done yourself a disservice. We have done you a disservice by starting with these books because in every way the ongoing Dread Star is toe to toe with Dread Star and Nexus. That's what I'm saying. See, that, yeah. that's my point. That's why I said to you guys that like I think for me my conclusion is just I think. What, you know, and again, I understand why we started. It was made sense to start at the beginning, but but I I I am I'm curious what I would have thought if it was just like, hey, let's read the first ten issues of Dread Star. Like, would I be like, oh, this is the shit? Like, this is you know, like well, so there's still opportunity to do that. We can come back in, oh, no, in six sure. months and yeah. try. It. Well, I've, and I've got the volumes. We've got we've got the, I've right. got all of it. Right, we've got we've got everything that, that Jim did with the. So I mean, it's not like it's not here for me to read, but um, yeah. So that's the thing, and it's like I I I'm curious. From both of you, and maybe Dap is the most poignant here because he did read the Dreadstar comic, but he didn't read this stuff before. And even even Starlin himself says in in the in the intro, right, that like he changes his stripes with Dreadstar several times throughout its run. Like it's a completely different comic. So, Dap, do, do you have any strong feeling in terms of this versus the comic? Like in terms of did you enjoy one over the other? I know they're very different, but like, did you do you lo- do you love the Dreadstar comic and you just liked this? Do you love this, but you just liked the comic, or do you do you love them both, but, but they're different? I'm just curious, like, because obviously Vince read it all from Jump, so his his perspective is going to be different, and I'm I I haven't read the comic, so I have no perspective on this. But uh, I your your last point, I, I I well, I do I do really really like. The ongoing. Um, this I'm I'm trying to look at it objectively. Where I wanted to see where it all started from, sure. and I I am pleasantly, I'll say, surprised at how different the storytelling and and just the the the, the characters and, and how everything came to be. I. It's interesting to see. Jim's approach in in creating this this world and, and these characters because the I I was aware I, I I recognized Jim's art style early on but 
I didn't really, I think the first time I took notice of Jim Starlin, the creator, was the first Marvel graphic novel, The Death of Captain Marvel. And and that instantly made me a fan of the man and his work, whether it's his writing or his drawing. And now, seeing what came even before that, it's it's really interesting because obviously, I mean, the man worked for Marvel in the 70s. He did things with Doctor Strange and, and, of course, Warlock and, and Captain Marvel. And it's seeing something like this, which is completely different than than what I was used to from his Marvel work. Um, it's I I am I am really enjoying seeing where it started and 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 so no I don't I don't I I'm, I'm not feeling not nonplussed I'm not disappointed I, I'm I'm uh, I'm thinking about the ongoing Dread Star which is more political action oriented and and it it's um it 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 felt right in in that comic serialized format um this bigger picture story that that, that we're reading now and then in getting into the price um it's it's it, it's it's good in a different way or it's it's or it's different in a good way it's it's i'm i'm, I'm digging it it's just it wasn't what I was expecting based no. on what I already know about Red Star and, and what Jim sure. does. What's yeah, it's pure, it's pure seventies. This stuff is pure yeah. head shop. Um, you know, roll your own, uh, mind expanding seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the, the, uh, ongoing Dread Star, everything about it is pared down. Like the concepts are there, but they're more, easily digestible the 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 actual core group is pared down to like maybe five or or six um and you have a big bad in mm-hmm. the in the lord high papal in the in the dread star comic in this the, we're fighting an entire race of people that you know so well and as we as we'll get to i mean i i i can't say we can call these we can't call most we can't call these people heroes or certainly, we can't call Akhenaten a hero. I mean, no, he's not. He's, he's not. He's an anti-hero. Yeah, at its at its best, right? Yes. I mean, yes. We haven't gotten to the ultimate axe, but you know, I know he says in the end of that last chapter, he says, uh, you know, like he's like, oh, I, I basically said, I, he said, I can't, I can't fight you, Dreadstar, one on one. My forte is mass extermination. Yeah, it's my thing. It's my thing. It's <laughs> what I do. It. He's right. He's so he right. He's right. Yeah. Um, He's right. In, because in chapter seven, which is called Deloran Revisited, uh, our pair travel to the war-ravaged world of Deloran, and we learn that Akhenaten has no idea where the Infinity Horn is. We need this Infinity Horn. Okay, where is it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, because the thing is so powerful, th- they created an indestructible artificial being to safeguard the horn and hide it away. This is my, where I have a problem. Because if Akhenaten created an indestructible artificial being, why didn't he create an indestructible artificial army to battle the Zygodians? Like, it doesn't make sense. So we have this, this character who's extremely powerful, borderline indestructible, to guard the horn 
that's going to fuck everything up. Like, so why not just make an army? It just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that, that's part of, of like, the, like, you're either, I think you, you one foot in, one foot out, that, that Jim feels, I feel like he's struggling a bit in these early chapters. Because it's like, even with the, like, to Dap's point about me loving getting the band together, I do very much love that conceit, as, as you, as you noted. But I just, it's, it seems so random to me, like, all the decisions that even not made a hundred thousand years ago, like like he picks one planet, he does one thing, like and it's like, like and it's like the magnitude of each of the things doesn't line up, like like on one he. I'm a high like, sword. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm gonna leave a sword. The other one's like I'm gonna create life. Like, it's like yeah, well, yeah. If you can create life, like why wouldn't you create life on like a hundred planets and like let them evolve and like I don't know. And like, to my like, to my point, if you can create a sword of ice and fire that's nigh indestructible and fucks up anything it touches, why not mass produce them? Like it doesn't make yeah, sense. Right, 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 right. I'm gonna make, make one surround surround a planet with that material. Yes. So the, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's no, like exactly. the Tholian web. Yeah. Like just whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, they've come to Deloran to touch base with Jonas Soul who is Walt Simonson, um, the keeper and defender of Akhenaten's Key. It's nice to see Walt with a little meat on his bones. Yeah. He's such a skinny man these days. He's held the key for 100,000 years, and uh, what the key is, it's an amulet. And the amulet details the precise location of the infinity horn. So uh, Akhenaten takes the... The, the amulet so good old Jonas has nothing left to do with his life he's fulfilled his obligation and, or his destiny and he uh, kills himself an indestructible being uh, uses a, a laser gun to kill himself figure that <laughs> shit out uh, so I guess he wasn't so indestructible after all. that one spot near his temple yeah it. well he had a vent that was your he, he had a vent right. behind yeah. his ear and he that's, just that's the spot in the death star. yeah pew pew so uh, chapter 8 Sunrise on Lartores, which is uh, the children of Oserosian doom, are finally gathered. Uh, Akhenaten leaves to grab the horn, while the children become acquainted with Vanth, and uh, Wispar tells Vanth that they're in a kind of endgame scenario. Literally an endgame scenario. Uh, the Oserosian saw only one possible future path that led to the Zygotian downfall, using the Infinity Horn to grant the universe the same mercy that Akhenaten granted Earth, which is a very swift and final uh, curtain call, let's just say. So the Infinity Horn is going to bring an end to everything. And in Chapter 9, Akhenaten uses the key amulet thingy to conjure God. He literally talks to God. Well, his God, uh, Ra. And Akhenaten asks God if he has the right to do what he's about to do. He's like, yo, Ra, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right path d- uh, d- down which to go? And and Ra tells him, yo, my dude, keep an eye on Vanth because he has the power. He, even he doesn't know uh, how powerful he is, and, and, and he could mess up your plans. So uh, Akhenaten is having a crisis of faith in every way. But he ultimately decides he's doing the right thing. Nah, I, I, I'm all right. I'm doing the right thing. Uh, the Infinity Horn is on Dream's End. And by Ra, he's going to do it. He's going to go get that Infinity Horn. Um, he goes back to 
Lartorez, and Vanth isn't pleased. Vanth is like, see, wait, wait, fill me in on what you're going to do here. You plan on using this thing that you guys made to end existence and start all over again? And uh, Knotten's like, yeah. Vanth's like, well, I'm not down with it, but okay. <laughs> I'll come with you. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you it's out. A horrible idea, it's a but... really bad idea, but whatever. I'll come help you. So, chapter ten, Requiem, is nothing more than a brief history of the Zygotia, which oddly parallels our own history. Uh, chapter, <laughs> it does. Wait, 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 before you, I, I got to like, like the the. There's some. I mean. There are some cray cray pages in this. Like, like the, the, there's one where he, there's the. It's like in the middle of the panel. It, it's 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 like a black starry rectangle. There's a zoom in of red woman's lipstick. Then there's hypodermic needles and pills. Then there's 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 two. There's a man and a woman fucking her. Take him taking her from behind. Then there's like liquor. And then in the top corner there's like killer clowns. A clown. Like, what, yeah. What are the what are the clowns? I don't I don't get it. Like what what it, is that? It, it's all <laughs> obsessions, I guess. Right. It's crazy. Dude. Yeah. This guy's smoking like, a hookah. My man was tripping balls when he did this. Of stuff. course he was. Yeah, George, Jim was very open-minded about um, a lot of things. So say uh, they all, right? Like, yeah, was, I like, think that's a so great the page. So it was also creative back then, right? Like, like, cosmic shit, yeah. Best yeah. era for comics ever. Bronze Age, yeah. Um, you can't. You're not creative. See, people aren't creative on crystal meth. Like, it's like the drugs no. today like, don't make you creative. Like no, back then, it was no, well, mind expanding. Now it's like they're just taking, falling out. They're just taking the wrong drugs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So go, no, no, we'll, we'll save it for later. I wanted to ask you something for later. Not, it's unrelated to this. I'll ask you later. All right, so. Chapter Twelve: Dreams End, appropriately uh, titled. Uh, Vanth Dreadstar's ship, the Light Cutter. Uh, his cousin has a ship called the Turd Cutter, but yeah. see, yeah. <laughs> sorry, you have to work blue. I'm sorry, uh, Vanth. <laughs> Vanth's ship, the Light Cutter, makes a beeline to Dreams End to grab the Infinity Horn. But the place is crawling with Zygotians, as expected. They go to Castle Grayskull, too. Yeah, no. Come on. The the (laughs) gang... Here's the deal. The gang flees into an indestructible Calumbrian temple. Everything's indestructible in this. Castle Grayskull. Descend a multidimensional staircase (laughs) to another plane of existence. That's kind of cool. Uh, because it's the only place the Infinity Horn's weird blend of science and sorcery will work. Um, well, the the place at the end of the corridor, well, it's Akhenaten's Hall of Death and Mercy, complete with a ball pit for the kids. Uh, they reach the Infinity Horn, and Juliet has second thoughts. She's like, I'm only 15, my man. Um, I really don't want to die. And... Akhenaten reassures her that she's not. That's not your. You, you're not going to die. It's not your fate. Um, you, Wispar, and Za, you three will become the building blocks for a new race of beings to follow, right? And so then, in chapter thirteen, which is called Doomsday, Vanth and Akhenaten fight the Zig troops on a perilous bridge while the trio toots the Infinity Horn. <laughs> They all blow, yeah. they blow into the Infinity Horn. And for people that don't aren't haven't read the comic, the Infinity Horn is drawn to look like 
if you if any of you ever done one of those uh, one of those like shot skis where a bunch of people hold the ski at once and do a shot together, that's what this is like. There's like three different like you know blow horn pieces coming out of a cylinder that all lead into one horn. It's very Doctor Seussian, I think. It is. It, it's it's crazy ornate too for a, like a, a mystical device. They should have just like just make a horn. Like okay, um, so they all toot 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 on the infinity horn, and the universe or the Milky Way galaxy, which you know is no more, gone. And then Starlin details the 15 power levels of mystical existence <laughs> from out of nowhere. Um, oh, by the way, the universe is done. So here's the 15 power levels of mystical existence. Yeah. Um, and in all of this, five, five, count them, souls survive. Right? The Aftermath, Chapter 14, we go to the planet Kaldor, fourth satellite of the star Chalfion. Vanth and Akhenaten... Wake up a million years after dreams end. <laughs> In a minute. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the deal. At the last possible second before the toot, Akhenaten conjured a protective bubble around sure the group. And he shot everyone into suspended animation. Um, the trio are transformed. They're now beings of light and energy. They're gods, as it were. Akhenaten goads Vanth into killing him. That's his. That was his plan all along. Um, he was going to be as despicable and uh, as uh, you know pragmatic as he could be, knowing full well that Vanth wasn't going to deal with it very well. And Vanth gets pissed off and kills him, but not before uh, he tells Vanth that he's the shepherd of this new universe. You have to succeed where I failed, my man. You have to ensure that something as evil as the Zygotian race is never, ever allowed to exist. But if you fuck up, the Infinity Horn still exists. So you got a safety net. And that is the Metamorphosis Odyssey. Indeed it was. It's crazy, right? He's like, it is. It's crazy. He's saying it's crazy because he's like, okay, I got this ultimate nullifier. It is the this 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 item that could just reboot the entire universe, and it doesn't destroy itself upon use. It's still there. I wonder if Jim is a believer in eugenics because he certainly lives that life in the stories. Twelve twelve chapters ago, my man. Oh yeah, right. Like this could have been half. Yeah, it could have been half. it's yeah, just like, <laughs> like, like, like he went through a like, Akhenaten went through a lot of hoops to destroy the universe. If that was his conclusion from <laughs> but Trump, like, the, here's the deal though: he doesn't like the the information he includes in this uh, work is later capitalized on in in other works like the 15 levels of existence like he yeah. you would think it was a throwaway right nope but he no, it, the limit. he uses it yeah he, like the first level is existence as we know it 
This includes the stars, the planets, and all plant and animal life, including humans. So close are we to the second level of power that we have no trouble tapping into atomic, electrical, magnetic, photon, and other forces which exist there. But dimensions three through nine are mystical. Like, Jim, put the pipe down. (laughs) Just put down the pipe and just listen or read the shit that you're writing. Like, yeah. what Slow is down. what I, I, is happening? Like the, <laughs> the, the books are almost misnamed. I feel like the first book should have been called The Price because it took them so fucking long to get to the point. It's <laughs> yeah. Just, <it's, laughs> oh, <shit>. really? <laughs> the fucking clown. You clown. <laughs> clown with porn. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody want to say anything about Metamorphosis Odyssey before we move on? I am glad. I am glad I read it. It's, it's, I mean, it's listen. It's it's one of those things where I knew that it's what started Dreadstar, and it's something that you know. Yeah, it, it's been collected enough times over the years where it, it was it would have been available for me to read any time. It was one of those things where, just like so many other things, I'll get to it when I get to it, and I'm 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 glad I finally did. I am glad. I read it. I got to see where this whole thing started from, and um, a little bit of insight on the man and, and his creation. Yeah. But I, 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 um, you know, you you can play armchair quarterback all you want, and 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 we can pretend we're editors and and say where things could have been trimmed, or if you but it it still it could. When you look at it in context, it was serialized and epic illustrated, and and you know however many pages he got each issue told the story and and it it's you have to kind of play in that playground as well it's not like it was an ogn where he had a set number of pages or he wanted to tell a story in so many pages it's like here's a magazine we're giving you a handful of pages every month go have fun and and you know so he told the story yeah but you know what it's not perfect but at least it's ambitious Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no uh, penalty for shooting for the stars. So you want to detail the 15 levels of existence, go right ahead. Said, yeah, he, he, he definitely took advantage of the format. Everything he kind of put on the pages plays out later on in, in, in future tales. So it's not yeah. – it wasn't just – uh, this is a story I want to tell, and I'm just going to go crazy. No, he he had things in mind, and whether you know he's he's sitting there as you know like like, like Charlie Bate with the damn red thread going across the the, the vision board. It, wow. It's just it's it, it he's it's all connected, and yeah. and it's it, it, it's it's amazing to see how how it started and how this man's mind. Yeah, was. yeah. But, I mean, I, Jay, listen, I all week I was busting your chops and saying how you know I can call it you know dreadful star and stuff like. <laughs> Honestly, this was an enjoyable experience because of the absurdity of it. I, I mean, I, I I don't think, like like again, just being objective, like like I don't think I don't I didn't leave thinking this was a good comic, but but I but I I do appreciate, especially in the context of the time and the big ideas. Like like you said, he went for it. I don't I personally don't think he 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 stuck the landing, but he went for it. Like and yeah. I give him credit for that. And obviously, it went on to be a property that he, you know, made many, many more stories about and all that. So it's like props to him for that. And and certainly, I I like I definitely am appreciative of having now knowing you know knowing the origins of it and and having you know it was definitely it was white space for me. Um, 
the the one thing and and again this is not a like criticism of, of of him or the work it's just my personal purely my personal aesthetic and you guys know this like this is not the kind of art that excites me i i don't i have always struggled with painted art in comics with very few exceptions and part of it is because it is very difficult for most people that are painting comics to stay on model and these pages are just like page to page the anatomy the symmetry the 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 the, the facial features are not consistent and that, again like for some people that's that there's charm to that i i think for both of you i know Dapplo, I, yeah. I, I for for me it's a total turnoff and again I get I'm, it. So I'm not i'm not saying like it's bad i'm saying but i have never found with the exception of like sinkevich i i don't like painted comic art rarely pleases me because i just am focused on how every panel looks different and and it's and i and i it, that is a turnoff to me so uh like like being on model matters to me so um so yes yeah, so so i i i couldn't take i couldn't look at the art and not be frustrated that's all so right no i i completely understand but uh yeah my art's not consistent that's that's the furthest requirement for me so yes, you and I are very, very different. Yeah, no, I, and I get it. But, like, yeah, I, you know, you would have hated comics in the seventies because because <laughs> oh, this yeah. Yeah, the, no, this like, was this yeah, is like, the like, commonplace storytelling uh, approach in the seventies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, well, I, I I mean, I've read a ton of seventies comics, but yeah, no, I mean, there's like like a lot of the stuff that is beloved is not my thing. I you know, I get it. Even like with our like um. You know, like like Dap and I, have, we always chat with the with the NC boys, you know, and stuff. And and Cliff loves watercolor art. Like he'll like you know, we're always sharing art commissions and and stuff we see on the web to each other. And like he gets the stiffest when he sees like a watercolor commission. And nine times out of ten, for me, I'm like, oof, because it's like I don't like it looks so unfinished and and rough to me. And it's like I don't like it. Just doesn't just doesn't work for me. You know, it's like. We all we all have different types of you know female bodies that we find attractive and not find attractive. It's just for me, this kind of art is not a turn on. It just okay. doesn't. Yeah, but I'm not going to besmirch it. Obviously, there's got you. Of talent work going into it. I, yeah, you know. I got you. Yeah. So let's uh, swing on over to October of 1981 for the price. And Would why you... was I not Bial Gassard in the intro? That's what I should have been. I don't Seriously. know. Seriously. Yeah, that's a fail. Well, you can rectify it. I'll call you. Yeah. I'll call you Biagasar now. <laughs> um, again, it was a one shot published by Eclipse Comics, and uh, was that an alert? No. So, uh, in the wake of the Metamorphosis Odyssey, Book One, and 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 I meant to say this during the Metamorphosis Odyssey, and it continues here. Jim put Tom Orszakowski to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy crap, man! I mean, I know, I know, Orr's lettered the hell out of Uncanny X Men for decades, but holy crap, man, the, 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 the that poor guide that he has to use to, to letter books was just—he he must have had them in bulk uh, next to his table. That's the Ames lettering guy. Yes. Can you Thank imagine you. having the? hand letter back in the day like <laughs> but look how beautiful it looks that first it page it's, it's great does, but, i mean black. imagine the time it took right i mean and that's like you, we're talking you're not typing this on a computer screen and there's no word wrap when you're hand lettering you have to plan out your lines so if you have a widow or 
an uh, an orphan at the you can't you can't have you have to have at least two words on the last line so you got to plan out and it just looks like it's always ragged right because that's the safest bet although it's interesting because in uh, in this this one shot there are orphans all over the place yeah no i can't have it orphans no no <laughs> but there are though i'm, I'm well okay yeah. but i can't have it um <laughs> but anyway so uh here we are in the price and in the wake of the uh, the uh, events of the end of Metamorphosis Odyssey, Earth and the Milky Way are destroyed. But humanity has spread itself all over the stars. And uh, we've taken root rather well in the empirical galaxy. Jim's not fucking around. He's going to tell you that this is the empirical galaxy. Uh, host to a 200-year-old war between the monarchy and the instrumentality. Now, the monarchy are an inbred family, uh, Dilogo, and their forces, and the instrumentality is a political, mystical, religious order. We see most of the instrumentality in this, this one shot uh, because we are going to an instrumentality world known as Alterix, home of the Order of Viltor, the mystics of the instrumentality. And... Uh, Basically, the early part of this one shot, the, it focuses on two brothers, Ajarl and Sizgi Darklock. The former is a tax lawyer. The latter is a high bishop under Lord Papal. And uh, Ajarl is murdered under mysterious circumstances. There are whispers of demons. And uh, Sizgi becomes involved, much to the Lord Papal's glee, because... He thinks that Sizgi has eyes on his throne. And so he lets Sizgi off his leash long enough, hoping that he'll either, one, be killed himself, or two, cause an incident that would bring disgrace to the order, which would prompt his dismissal. So he lets him go, thinking, you're either going to kill you, get killed, or I'm going to have reason to get your ass out of here. So go, go, go look for the reasons why your brother was killed. It's a win-win situation for the uh, Lord High Papal. Um, Sizgi has a familiar, uh, Sister Marion, and there is an obvious attraction between the two of them. And uh, I don't know why, cause she's rough, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Jesus. That never fails. My God. Uh, <laughs> So, so Darklock is, is looking for, you know, who done this? Who killed my brother? So he mystically scans his brother's place and he comes up with a name, Bialslagard, which is a seventh level archdemon in service to the lords of the Dreadvale Plain. Uh, I see Bialslagard as a precursor to Odie. Odie, yep. Yes, That's in the too. ongoing. Um, Odie doesn't run around with his dick hanging out, and, no. he, and he's not he's giant. And just, just, just hanging there. <laughs> yeah, but, like, you know, but listen, if, if it worked for Zah, yes, he's but, a grower, not a shower. Clearly, o I mean, Odie is an anthropomorphic cat, as is Beelzegard. So, um, with his familiar sister Marion, Darklock, uh, he scans and gets Beelzegard, um, and Sister Marion has really strong words of caution for Darklock. She's like, you really should not be doing this. This is not going to end well. Um, 
Well, Darklock summons the demon, and and uh, he forces Beelzegard to reveal who his master is. And uh, because he was mistreated at the hands of said master, Beelzegard, like, it's really hard to get a demon to not only comply, but to get a demon to actually tell the truth. And this demon does both. Because, like I said, he was mistreated at the hands of this person, and he wants revenge. And this person's name is Taurus Kilgarin, a being of massive power that even the, the Lord Papal and his cardinals fear. This guy's the real deal. Um, so Beelzegard tells Darklock he has to become even more powerful than Kilgarin to beat him. Like, you are not going to be able to hold a candle to this guy. Uh, so... One of the ways you can get all buffed up is to go to a 10th level reality, here we go, called Nirvana's Gate. And there you can secure an artifact called the Eye of the Gods, which unlocks an 11th level reality power. It's very simple. And so, of course. Yeah, so Dark Locks, okay, I'll do it. He, he, he takes... Uh, Beelzegard takes Darklock to the eye and Sisgi gets the power but unfortunately this level of power it fucks him up like big time to the point where he needs to be outfitted with cybernetics like it 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 messes up his his legs are gone half his face is gone yeah he's he's more metal than than man um but now he has the power to take down Kilgarin, and he he does. Uh, and he asks him, he's like, why'd you do this? Why, why did you kill my brother? Uh, so Kilgarin says, he, you know, I, I saw something coming in the stars. And you needed to be much more powerful to de- than you are to deal with it. So I killed your brother, knowing that you'd come to kill me. And you wouldn't be able to kill me unless you got more powerful. So I done you a favor. Um, so hence the eye of the gods, uh, but you're going to need even more power, my man. And you, you need, uh, to commune with a demon called Slytus. And in order for you to get all powerful, you are going to have to sacrifice that thing, which you love most in existence. Sister Marion. And in the process, Sizgi is shown his future. And in a rage, he's totally pissed off. He eliminates Kilgarin, the very thing that Kilgarin set in motion to begin with. See, it's kind of like a a, a mirror of the Akhenaten thing. Akhenaten knew that Vanth would kick his ass and kill him at the end. This is exactly what Kilgarin did. So it's like you have the heroic saga, albeit with, you know, ne'er-do-wells. Um, so he he asks Sister Marion for permission to kill her. Siski's like, all right, honey. Um, so in order for me to do this, uh, mm, you know, would you sacrifice everything for what you believe? And she's like, oh, yeah, I would. I really would. And he's like, oh, everything? And he's like, yeah, I, I would sacrifice everything. So he kicks her ass into a dark room. And she's she's uh, she's devoured by by a demon, and um, he gets his reward and becomes Sizgi the Dark. And part of the future that he saw was to be a mentor to Vanth Dreadstar. 
So Sizgi gets a ship, and he quite uh, randomly names it the Light Cutter Two. <laughs> Uh, what a so guy. He, yay, plops on Kaldor and meets his charge, Vanth Dreadstar, for the first time. And that's the end. And that's yeah, and, and that's so it goes right into once, to, once the bandages come off, that's the that's the dark lock that uh, that I'm familiar with. Right. But it's if Siski is so po- so so goddamn powerful that even the Lord Papal fears him, why don't we see that in the ongoing? <laughs> like like Sizgi's powerful. He's freaking massively powerful, but he's not eleventh level reality powerful. Like yeah, I think I think he di- dialed down a lot of the the power levels too. Like in in the Metamorphosis out, he's like, oh, Vance Dreadstar's as strong as twenty men, and the, yeah. that that sword can mess up entire regiments of. Uh, you don't see that too much, right? In, in what's to come, like. The, the the cosmic was pretty much off the charts, and he's like, mm, "This needs to be an ongoing." So yeah, I, I got to uh, ramp it back. Pare it down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I always yeah, liked the. I, this, I thought this uh, this this was. <laughs> I thought this was rough. God. In in the, out of the two, this one may have been my favorite, only because. Or for one reason, because of the connection to the ongoing. Because yeah, we okay. do. We, it, it's the origin. I mean, Ziggy's omnipresent in the ongoing. Yeah, and and I, I I I've always called him Ziggy, but but you know, <laughs> looking at the way it's spelled, yes, it it, it makes more sense to to say Ziggy. But it, 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 it's Ziggy. Uh, settle down, Magneto. All right, don't worry. About <laughs> for real, Ziggy played guitar. <laughs> but it, sorry. It's, it's it's obviously it's it's a shorter story. Than, it could be Ziggy. Book. Now that I look at it, yeah, just the way because it's it's Odie, but it's not spelled. The way. It's just it's we. It's sorry, you know, Jim's Jim's fun with 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 the way, he, but it doesn't matter. It, it, it's all good. Clearly, they're on Tatooine too. I mean, it's right, and and especially with yeah, because that's you know he hates, yeah, it's like okay, dude. Like, we all like Star Wars. I get it. Well, when, yeah. when, when we get Jim on the show, we'll ask him how do you pronounce. Oh yeah, character? I'm sure he's gonna just jump right on with us. <laughs> Why not though? Why not? We, we will talk about Guardians. So we have, um, but but th- this was more of a, a a direct connection to the ongoing. We got the origin of a character who, who's who's you know a badass in, in the ongoing, and um, and it is it it's it's just one of those things where it wasn't it. We pick up obviously after the first story Jim tells with 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 with, with this concept. So. Um, we're kind of just finally getting into what we're heading towards what made me so enamored with, with, with well, it's, it's named after this book is named after you. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah, cause he's that vain, right? But it is, it's, it's, and, and it, it, I don't know. I, I've seen this cover so many times. So and I don't many know times. why, but, and because, but because it doesn't say Dreadstar. It, it, it for whatever reason I just I'm like that that, that, that looks familiar like this is a this is an idea that I, I guess you know Jim just likes to run with but it never it never occurred to me because I never read this that this is actually the same character from the ongoing I just it, it the whole thing right just, I think so he... for some reason that I don't know why I hate skull faces I hate it. <laughs> Like I can't stand that's, that's Death Watch. I can't stand Red Skull. Like I, I find that 
visual. Wait a minute, Taskmaster. So you love it's the Taskmaster. It's a mask. It's a mask, and it's Inception. It's I don't know. oh my god, it's the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> it, it is. I know you're right. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't bother me. It's so. Yeah, I don't know why it doesn't bother you're me. You're not consistent. You're Jim Starlin's no, heart. Not, not, not consistent. Not but heart. but but I listen. I'm glad y'all liked it. I I just this art just was rough for me. I just couldn't deal with it. Uh, I think it's glorious. But that's I'm a, cool. I'm a child of the '70s. What am I going to do? I love it. I mean that one that panel where Sister Marion he he must use 47 different women to draw her. That's not true. That's, that's she ranges from being mildly zoftig to just straight up fat. She's 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 like between twenty and fifty years old, and her eyes are like sometimes three inches from her hairline to ten inches. It's it is insane. I'm, I'm not being I'm not being a jerk, but it must be exhausting to be you. It must be. <laughs> why would you take that much attention to? A, it's a, a visual. It's a visual medium. Like that's it, why we love of comics. course it is, but it, it it's not an affront. If she switches forms between panels, like you still know who it is. But that, but that it it doesn't. To me, that seems like that's that's bad work. Because hmm. it's it's like too relying on 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 like again. There's no model. Like he doesn't have. Like he needs he but needs, she's, he needs she, Garcia he needed Garcia Lopez to leave him a little book as to what these characters were supposed oh to Oh my god, that was a good one, by the way. Uh, <laughs> she, it was very good. I was I shouldn't let you let on that it was very good. Um <laughs> Thank you. I, I disarmed you. I yeah, I can't front when you get a good one, I gotta give it to you. Like it's not that she goes from like stick figure to blob within the course of like two panels. It's it's a subtle slight alteration between her her physical form and something like i get it that you're a stickler for okay but you can't say that you don't somewhere within the core of your being realize that it's the same freaking character no of course but but again like like i don't like I, i can't have it i can't have i can't have or having a double chin in one panel, and then not having a double chin in the next panel, having eyes that are too that are that are that are misshit. Like I just can't. I again, it, yeah, it's it's just this style. Like I do. Like I, I. It's too. It's too like. Well, I'm gonna. It doesn't really matter what they look like as long as you know what character it is. Like I can't have it. Okay. I can't have it. That's cool. That's all right. Yeah, I, again, it, it's it's like I, it's a me thing. It's just we all have things that peccadillos like it. Like there's a panel, and I I don't have the page numbers handy, but like where where um, unknown soldier version of him when he's talking to her, all bandaged up. Um, like it's the I'm trying to think like how I could get you to know what page I'm talking about. Um, it's like right after the damn you where he like he like fries the person into this and turns into the skeleton. The next page where he's talking to her about like oh, but to do this you must be willing to sacrifice your life so that others will have a better tomorrow. Her one eye is literally one inch away from her nose. The other eye is four inches away from her nose. Like it is, and then the panel oh, right yeah. below that, like, like the panel below that, like, like it's like the one eye looks like it's from a Renaissance painting and is like embedded four inches in her skull, and the other eye is normal but wide open. Like it's just I don't like I don't know what he's drawing from. Like I guess he's just winging it, and it's like cool. Like you do you. He's like, not winging I, it. He's not. There's well, he's no, not using that. That's not what a human face looks like. It, like that would look like that's a deformed face. That's not what a human face looks like. 
So, like, again, like, he's just like, ah, fuck it. Like, you know what I'm talking. You know who this is. Like, you guys get it. And that's cool. Like, I know for you, that's probably an appeal. Like, I've known you long. Like, like that's probably appealing to you. Like, it is. The, the freedom of it. For for me, it's just, like, total salt Peter. It's like, nah, dude. Like, okay. take the time to make sure that her face looks the way it's supposed to look. Like, I, I can't have it. Gotcha. That image that I sent you all on the Slack? Uh... That black and white image, there's a quartet. That is from uh, left to right. Starlin. Oh. Or Zachowski, Heather Devitt. And that man on the end is Steve Engelhart. Wow. Yes, yeah, it is, is Engelhart. Engelhart. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, that was taken at a. a Dude, Orzachowski is a player. Look at that. Isn't he? Right? He's got the old. He's got the fucking <laughs> Dude, pot leaf. No, no lie. Dude, Orzach. Or, Tom uh, or, uh, looks like Revikin. Yeah. Right? Well, a little bit. Revikin's grandpa. Yeah. This was taken in 1974. That's what I'm saying. It could be Revikin's grandpa. So I'm going to put this in the thread for the the slackers to to see. Nice. There you go. That's hot. She's cute. That's what, that's what, yes, she is cute. That's worth joining the slack for right there. Right. Right. Yep. All right, everybody. Hey, that was the book of the month. Well, books of the month, the Metamorphosis Odyssey. And the price. We hope that we've combated uh, Mr. Wood's negativity. <laughs> I'm just saying. Sorry, and uh, if you would like to put a drop in the bucket and uh, make a uh, a play as to which what book we should read for a forthcoming book of the month, just go to the Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Eleven O'clock Comics, and you can weigh in. You can make your voice heard. Yeah, and we will have the um, we'll have the March form up uh at the beginning of the month yes cool beans nice. I'm, I'm taking a look at the clock oh yeah we're, we're i be- enjoy listen all, all kidding aside, I, mean, I enjoyed i enjoyed the the, the reading in the chat like like you know not everything's gonna hit us all the same way um you know i i put it this way i think this was an easier chat than we had with the tintin oh much yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, everybody, give it up for our patrons. In the meantime, I want you in your travels to do what I'm doing. And I'm rereading for the third time. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, Full confession, I disliked it immensely upon oh. its, its original publication. And then uh, subsequent readings... Uh, second time I read it, I uh, I realized the skill within the uh, the concept and the execution. But this third time around, I think it might be up there with some of his his best works. And I'm talking about the goat, Alan Moore. I'm rereading Providence. And they call it the Watchman of Horror. I don't some, think... I mean, some call it the Watchman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who's they? Yeah, I don't know who they are. But no, yeah. in, in complexity, I get it. it, it uh, because if, if we're talking form follows function, the whole book, the whole concept is about the esoteric, the hidden. Mm-hmm. You're... you're your uh, main character, Robert Black, is a homosexual in the early 1900s. 
that had that fact had to be hidden. You had to have that. You had to bury that, lest you get the shit kicked out of you or worse. Yeah. Um, and it's about the uh, hidden levels of um, the inner workings of the this this cosmic book that uh, it's Necronomicon. And uh, so the the people that rally around this book, the beings that are drawn to it, the the entities that are summoned by it, it's all hidden. It there's a level of existence, and then there's the stuff below it, and that is that's the whole premise of Providence. And I think Moore's brilliant in that the lead character is a homosexual. Number one, hidden. The stuff that he, the the Lovecraftian elements of the book, hidden. The fact that the lead character is writing a book on the esoteric elements of America, like again, he he is uncanny in his ability to shore up every last thread of his concept, and it all works in unison. The book is ridiculous. You've you've read Providence, right? Both of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's insane. But I, you, if you gloss over or just plain don't read. Uh, Black's writings in the commonplace book, you're going to miss a lot of, like, you need to read the backup material. If you don't read it, then you're missing 50% of the story. So I got the compendium, the the collected edition. I have the singles, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I wanted a one easily retrievable edition because I'm going to read it again. Uh, It is scary how good Providence is. Like I said, it is it's up there with some of the best things he's ever read. I don't think it it's it goes you know uh, neck and neck with Watchmen, but it's a very very well executed, amazingly uh, intricate and deep story that has it 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 resonates with me because I love the subject matter. I love Lovecraft, and and the mythology is in my bones. So, uh, yeah, if you get a, 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 a weekend, I, I suggest you read or reread Alan Moore and, and uh, Jason Burroughs' Providence because it's, it's a masterpiece. It really is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I find it fascinating that you – because, like, this is not, like, a two-issue, like, Mm-mm. story. Like, like, that you read it and hated it. And then you're like, let me reread the whole thing again. And then you reread it, like that's pretty good. And then you're like, eh, I'm gonna reread it again. And I go, like, it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> well, I think you're it's putting so you, dude. It's I know. So I think you're putting like... you're putting words in my mouth. But I didn't say it was the greatest thing ever. <sighs> it it is the greatest extrapolation on the nuggets that Lovecraft left for other writers to pick up. Yes. Sure. Then it is, well, okay, then it is the greatest. greatest. But I believe you said something akin to. Uh, it's right on par with with his best, and and since he is the goat, and he did write Watchmen, like you're basically saying, it's one of the greatest comics ever made. I would not. I yeah, I would. With, I don't even take issue with you saying the praise. I just think it's so you that you started it by saying I read this whole giant thing and hated it. I did. <laughs> I decided to read well, it I thought, two more times. I thought he was cherry picking. <laughs> I thought he was just going through like in's mouth and the thing on the doorstep and the the Ulfar cats or blah 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 just to take sure. all these these 
Lovecraftian um he, they're akin to Lovecraft sticking the bubble gum underneath this 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 uh nefarious desk, right? And other writers coming mm-hmm. and picking that bubble gum and chewing it. Like there there are they're well worn concepts and characters within the Cthulhu mythos that other writers have beaten to death. And I thought that's what Moore was doing. He was just cherry-picking the ones we all know, Dagon and all these these things, and making them work for him, Carcosa, like all the stuff. But it's not that. It's 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 on an aesthetic level above that. He he takes the mythology and makes it his own, which is unbelievably scary that a writer could do that where other writers have failed. Brian Lumley couldn't do it. Like I, I, I Ambrose Bierce, well, he was before, but anyway, um, like there, good writers have failed to do what Alan Moore has done. And that is to transform the, the entire output of a single writer and overshadow that output and make it his own. Like it's in, insane what he did, what he did with this book. You just got to read it. it. It it becomes something living at the end of it. And I know that sounds weird and new new agey, but the 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 final product of Providence has a life of its own beyond the original author. It's crazy. It's nuts. Nice. And I, it's, yeah, I'm, I mean, I got nothing bad to say for Providence. I think it's great. Yeah, no, it is. It it, it I mean, it may not be my cup, but I I have to respect the work. And it, I I'm amused that. Um, considering it's Lovecraft, that we started the evening talking about Bill Willingham and we're Vince is ending it for the <laughs> most part with Lovecraft where we talk about separating the art from the artist yeah. and, and how you can enjoy things. He, but it, it's, he, re- he recanted a lot of his beliefs, not all of them. Yeah, he was a shitheel. Uh-huh. Uh, he was. But yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not going to not read the greatest sure, writer, no, in, in, right. you know, the greatest uh, yeah, yeah, horror yeah. writer ever, just because mm-hmm. he was a racist. It's unfortunate, but sure, yeah. Uh, I'll go in the opposite direction. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, I because uh, yeah, because I, I'm yeah, not going to talk yeah, about I'm Black dying, Quill. I'm dying to hear what your thoughts are. So. Yeah, I, it, Vince hasn't said it. If, it well. We know on the Slack he read Black Cloak number two, or at least he started it. But I don't want to talk about that without yeah. us all talking about what it. What are you going to um, talk about? I'm going to talk about Superman the new number Superman one? number one. Uh, Williamson yeah. and Campbell. Go nuts. There's no no way I'm reading that. So. No, I, I, I yeah, know go that. Nuts. Go crazy. Room down. Right, go, go crazy. <sighs> Can't wait to hear you talk about something I don't want to know anything about. The um, So it's a new number one. Because you can never have too many. Uh, it's it's um, written by Josh Williamson, art by Jamal Campbell, who of course uh, illustrated Naomi and uh, Tafar Sector, and really like fucking Jamal's brilliant work. dude. It, fucking it, it, incredible. Jamal is incredible dude. He really is. Um, this story, it, it's we go all the way back to uh, to young Clark Kent living on uh, living on the farm. And uh, and and basically, kind of just um, listening to music. And Maz had enough. She's telling them, yelling at him to turn it down. Um, but uh, that plays a part later on because the present day we have uh, Livewire attacking a wedding, um, 
and and Superman saves the day, and then uh, he then goes and officiates the wedding. It, it, it's a really feel good moment. But while this is going on, Lex Luthor, of course, is uh, is locked up in um, Strikers Island, and he is talking to Superman, and Superman hears him, and uh, he's kind of like giving Superman pointers while Superman is is fighting Livewire. Um, but of course, Lex being Lex is is giving Superman pointers in in, in a way that uh, would kind of almost permanently put Livewire down, and, and of course Superman ain't hearing that. But um, he uh, he's now he's back at the Daily Planet writing up the story, uh, has headphones on, listening to music because he just wants to kind of filter out Lex's bullshit, um, and we uh, we get something going on. At LexCore, and and there's a whole bunch of uh, nanobots cycloning around the uh, the top of the top of the building, and uh, now it becomes um, SuperCore because it's got a big old Superman symbol at the top of the building, and Mercy is there to greet him uh, when he arrives at the uh, at the top of the skyscraper, and she's basically telling him that you know Lex wants you to kind of take charge. And, uh, and, and, and it's a kind of, kind of a unique spin on things. And, uh, Superman is just like, I can't be bought. I don't, you know, if, if Lex wants, like, why not just make the people who are working here, like, just put them in charge. And Mercy's like, yeah, well, Lex thought of that. And, uh, if, if you turn this down, the contracts, their, their contracts going to be null and void. Everybody's going to be out of work and, and you kind of don't want that. Um, so while and 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 Lex is also being a dick because he's 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 trying to go Superman. He actually has like a holographic image of himself, kind of dressed up like Jor-El, almost as if like you know he's trying to be uh, a mentor to to Superman. Um, parasite attacks the city. Superman leaps into action. Lex is still kind of like you know running commentary giving him uh, play-by-plays on, on how to s- save the day. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around. I mean, the last page is is kind of eerie and, and creepy, and, and, and I'm dying to see where we're going with this and, and this, the, 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 this the bizarro carcass. But uh, it, 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 the colors, the action, it's just, it's, it's on and pop, and it's, it's a solid first issue. Um, it's uh, because Perry is on sabbatical because of the events that happened uh, in the weeks leading up to this issue. Uh, Lois is now editor in chief. Um, Love it. She's, yeah. she's, she's she, and, and it's it's perfect. She, it's fitting, but of course, uh, you know she she yearns. She's she's out in the field. She's she's a journalist. She's an investigative reporter. She wants to be down and dirty and 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 reporting on things that matter she doesn't want to sit behind a desk and tell other people what to do so she's she's kind of frustrated but she really is the best person for the job um but but the, the you know, just just for it's it's so weird to me that of all the superman stories i've read and of of, of the decades that this character's been around that you know it, it takes me thinking about gene hackman talking to christopher reeve in the first movie getting Superman's attention that, you know, someone decided to, to, to use that concept in, in a comic like this. And, and of course Lex is in prison, so it's not like he can go anywhere. 
and and of course you might as well have some fun and and talk to Superman and and Superman is very good at blocking out a lot, but you know he's still aware of almost everything and and uh, I, I thought that was pretty clever of Williamson. But this is this is a really good first issue. I thought uh, can't wait to see where this creative team goes. I, I I'm digging action because of the whole family concept, but um, having a nice Superman solo series is uh, is nice, but. Um, it just it, it kind of has me amped up for for not not just the upcoming new John ongoing, but of course the Connor uh, Superboy of the '90s new ongoing that's coming out. And I just I'm I'm as much fun as I've been having since Bendis and and when Bendis took over and since Bendis left. As much fun as I've been having with the Superman family of books, I am really looking forward to what we have in store in uh, in 2023 and and beyond. But uh, but this is a really good first issue. So if 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 you were on the fence, if you weren't sure, if you just wanted to try something, uh, you could definitely do worse than, than Superman number one. I, I definitely recommend it. So in your travels, Superman number one from DC Comics. Yeah, man, I loved it. And you know, I'm not a, exactly okay. an easy Superman mark. I, I thought it was great. I mean, Campbell's art goes a long way in that regard. But but I I just thought it was terrific, and I thought it was fun in that it it was it was. It was familiar enough to people that aren't like like me that are more casual Superman readers, where a lot of the tropes were were familiar, but but it, but it, but with little twists, like you said, like you know, obviously Lo- Lois being editor in chief, that's that's like just left of center, where but it's not a hard leap to make. So it's like, oh, that's cool, like you know, because you because like I realize that's not normal, but it's still like not like completely like out of the blue. It's not like you know, mm-hmm. it's not like she's yeah. No, I just thought the whole thing was great. I love their chemistry. You know, I love the little like. The naughty bits where she's like, "Did you bring your overalls?" Your, your, like, it's like, like the shit, shit like that. Like I dug, I just dug the whole vibe, like the character stations. You know, Jimmy sort of like inviting them to dinner to meet his girl, and like the the whole. I can't thing, wait I just, to see his girlfriend is for I, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I really, I really love the whole thing. I, I so um, you, you got me on board for a Superman book at least for a while. Sweet. Um, yeah. Um, in your travels, uh, I was fucking blown away by this book. Pardon my French, but it is a French book, so why not? Um, from Fantagraphics, which, uh, you know, I think we, we, have, we, 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 we give Fantagraphics their flowers deservedly quite often. Um, it's, uh, it, it's English translation is, uh, is the extraordinary part book one or says hands. So a little bit of a kludgy title. Um, but it is the, it is a, uh, oversized hardcover. It's like 13 by nine hardcover, uh, in produced beautifully as Fantagraphics is want to do. Uh, and it is the first of a two-volume set. Um, it's by Rupert and Mulot, uh, which, for those of you that are loyal listeners, those should not be new names to you. Um, they uh, certainly... Um, we were just talking about Vivet when you guys were talking about The Last Man. Uh, the connection there is that Mulot and Rupert are the writers of... Two of my favorite fanographics books the last few years, the Grand Odalisque and Olympia, and Vive is the artist of those books. But they, but Mulo and Repair wrote those books. Um, they also did the Perineum Technique from a few years ago, which was published by Fanta. Um, they, to be clear, they, these guys are writers and artists. They they they're a tandem and they 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 draw books together. But in the case of Odalisque and Olympia, they had uh, Vive draw them. Um, but they, they wrote and drew Perineum Technique, and this is their latest. Um, and like I said, it, it's a two-volume set. 
both of the volumes are out in France uh, already, but uh, I assume Fantagraphics will bring the second volume to us probably sometime late this year or early next year, um, based on the way that they, the release schedule they had for Odalisque and Olympia. Um, the premise is is very very wild. Like it's it's uh, for me my, my like my favorite sci-fi is when the world is largely normal, and then there's like one or two things that are really strange. You know, um, and that's what this is. The, the The story revolves around a 19 year old French um, uh, guy named 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 Orsay, hence the the book name Orsay's hands. Um, and like, largely the world is, is just like ours, except for one thing. A few years ago, uh, these very strange alien creatures began appearing randomly throughout the world, and they are known as holes, like W H O L S. Um, and they, the, visually, they appear as, um, uh, it's, they, they look like gigantic, uh, abstract art sculptures. So like one might look like an amoeba. One might look like, uh, you know, um, like a, a group of, 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 of multicolored tendrils. One might look like, you know, some kind of cubist painting, but they're, they're organic and they're, 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 they're they're tangible, but they just appear out of nowhere. And uh, and at this point, though, because it's 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 already been a few years, like the world's just adapted to it. They just accept them. They're almost like accepted, almost like random wildlife. Like in one scene, there there's people driving on a French on a road in France, and one of them appears. So they just get out of their cars and wait for it to drift away from the road. You know, much like you would like in a rural area where like a bunch of cattle or sheep walk into the road, and you have to just wait for them to to move on. Um, and they just accept them now, like they're just they're just part of life. It's not really a big deal one way or the other. Um, but every now and then, because there are these alien things, there are um, there are encounters that are unintended. And in the case of Orsay, um, he ends up uh, touching one, you know, sort of unintentionally, and his hands get almost like squish into it, and that completely f- fucks his hands up to the point where his hands become like completely amorphous and he can, he can change, he can do things with them kind of like a Mr. Fantastic, but just with his hands. So his hands are deformed and he can stretch them out and, and, and do things with them. But like, this is a world where that's like, there aren't people with superpowers. So, like he's not like this, this is not happy about this. He wants his hands back to normal. So he heads into Paris to try and consult a doctor, see if he can get his hands back to normal um, but once he gets there, he meets up with other people who are also um, impacted in some way physically through contact with these holes. And uh, and then it kind of this book kind of morphs from there into this very existential view on like the way we treat foreign things and alienation and how we, we tolerate it to a point. But then we don't want it. And uh, and, and some of the people that have been touched by holes uh, are like. Uh, much more violent with their with with their uh, adaptations and they're killing people and and it just it evolves into almost like this this breakneck paced sort of revolution book. Um, it's just really interestingly it, it's 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 totally orthogonal to anything I've read in a long time, maybe ever. And I love that about that. I love when anytime a comic totally surprises me. Um, and I can't wait for the second half, but it's great. And and you know I I. If you're not familiar with their work, I mean, Repair and Malo have a, a have a, a beautiful style, and, and and I think they really stretch their stuff in their 
in this book because they get to draw these holes, you know, and there's, there's just, just, it's just, a, it's a, it's a font for massive creativity. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's visually stunning and a really interesting concept. That's, uh, like I said, it, 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 like any good sci-fi, it, 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 it just skirts the line between reality and fiction and, um, yeah, and it's amazing, and uh, so I mean, Fantagraphics does it again. They, they, I, I don't know that Fantagraphics ever, ever loses, but uh, this is fantastic. So it's 156 pages, like I said, oversized, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that they, they do what they did with, with, um, with Olympia and Odalisque, where eventually they put up both volumes and then do like a, a slipcase. And I will say that this book had like extra intrigue for me because, um, first of all, the name Orsay. Uh, I, I, Beth and I were fortunate enough to go to Europe after college and do the whole backpacking, you know, train thing for a bunch of weeks. And, uh, and we saw a lot of, of things as you probably do on those trips. And, and my favorite museum that I've ever been in is the Musée d'Orsay, um, which, which this is, you know, obviously the, the character here is named after. Uh, the Musée d'Orsay is, is a major French museum, but it's got like, it's, it's, it's just got, uh, just some of the most stunning art like I've ever you know, laid eyes upon. It's got tons of Cezanne and, uh, you know, tons of Degas and, and, and whatnot. And, and one of the paintings that, uh, is in there, um, that's one of the prominent paintings is by Manet and it's called Olympia. And there's conceptual continuity here because Olympia is not only the name of Rupert and Molo's, uh, graphic novel sequel to Le Grand least It is in fact the painting that the trio of cat burglars steal, and they steal it from the Musée d'Orsay. So clearly, d'Orsay means a lot to these guys on a on a personal level. I would imagine that they're, it, it means a lot to them as well. And total fun fact, I, as a wee youngster, had an imaginary friend named Orsay. How oh weird God. is that? Jesus, <laughs> I, s- I swear I'm going to bang my head off the wall. What? <laughs> you had an imaginary friend called Orsay. <laughs> Yes, Jesus because the fuck because as a kid there was a story I read about a seal. It was a French book that was adapted in English. Like as I read it in like I don't know first second grade, and it was it was Orsay the seal, and and like I, I that was like my imaginary friend when I was really little. Orsay the seal. Okay. So uh, so I'm I'm here for it, man. It's yeah. fucking great. It's absolutely I, phenomenal. I love you. So, um, as as an addition to the new travels. Do yourself a huge favor, guaranteed to be one of the best things that you read this week. Get yourselves to a comic shop and buy a copy of Local Man yes. Number One. Yes. Our boy, our brother, Tony Fleece, and the man, Tim Seeley, with uh, colors by Brad Simpson and Felipe Sobriero. First issue came out from Image this week. Uh, you need to get it, if you, yes. especially if you are a child of the 90s and were reading Image at the time. This is going to hit you in the, in, right in the feels. Yep. Um, yeah. It, it is so good. I'm so proud of, of our boy. Fuck Cross Jack. Go get this book because it is really, really good. Yeah, no doubt. And see, Tony needed that, that magic sprinkle of Tim. To, to, oh yeah, to yeah, have to have a hit. That's what it was. What it was. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> local yeah. man. Finally, <laughs> it's local Jeez. man number one. 
Uh, Tony Fleece, Tim Seeley, Simpson, Sobriero. Image, get it. Yep. Big facts. So good. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for joining us on this Book of the Month episode. We will be back really, really soon with something else. In the meantime, go to the comic shop, get Local Man and other stuff. Uh, kiss your loved ones, eat some good food, hug your pets, and say good night. One of these times, I'm going to figure out how to do that that rim of the glass rubbing thing. Can you hear it? No? Nope. Ah, shit. Oh. Oh, the, I mean, I can hear you touching your glass now. <laughs> David. <laughs> Good night. I, I said David. <laughs> That's what happens when you drink wine. You get the nice acoustics. Not the shitty wine. The, <sighs> David. The, right. There you go. Out of here. We love you, people. Tell them how so much. much. Right? Oh, like, like, especially tonight, immeasurably. Go read some Dread Star. Hmm. Hmm. Hey. Yeah, and concoct an imaginary friend named Orko. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Jesus. Oh, I love that story. That's great. So, I love you, my dude, but you were as pretentious as a child as you are as an adult. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. There's no lies detected. Of course, dude. Holy shit. I love you so much. That's it for that one.